Shalom, Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man, getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to have a supernatural marriage. Why? Because the world doesn't have supernaturally good marriages. The world is coming apart at the seams. Morally, divorces, pornography, affairs. Now, I have a couple, Audrey and Bob Meissner. And uh, Audrey and Bob have uh, a a very strong Christian background. Audrey's parents uh, had their own television show. Uh, Bob uh, worked as the production manager. It it was a national show. And uh, Audrey co-hosted a a show on uh, a secular station. Uh, They were pastors of a church, highly visible uh, to the public. And uh, Audrey uh, slipped she was involved in adultery. Never thought in a million years it could ever happen to her. But uh, Bob Meissner, the statistics to me are overwhelming of what's happening in society. Uh, many years ago, and maybe not that many, maybe five, six years ago, I, I heard a minister say that he had a revelation that there were demons slipping into the United States of America and other countries like we've never had before, and they were going to turn the morality so down uh, like we wouldn't even recognize it. And I happen to believe that what he said is true. Uh, Tell me some of the statistics about affairs, pornography, and divorce. Right. Sid, thank you for, you know, taking time to really uh, help people, help your listeners in these areas, because the statistics are extremely staggering when it comes to taking a look at affairs and pornography and divorce. There are studies that are given each and every year. The Harding Institute, for one, reported that over 72,000 sexually explicit sites are on the Internet. And they report that over 266 new porn sites are being added every single day. This is epidemic. The sites alone generate annual revenue that exceed into the billions of dollars. And so, I mean, this isn't just about the harming of innocent women and men, but this is an industry that's generating money and destroying the total fiber of our nation. The National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families said that approximately 40 million people in the U.S. are sexually involved with the Internet. And that statistic continues to grow, and it's alarming to me. In other words, when you say sexually involved, what you mean is they're either going to porn sites or uh, they're they're forming relationships with, uh, uh, with, with women or men over the Internet. Our social networks are, are, are extremely beneficial in, in some ways, but then in others, they're extremely dangerous unless you, you know exactly what you're doing and where you're going. In fact, 
Facebook has has been tragic for many couples because what they'll do is they'll get on there and they'll begin to search all of their old past relationships. And all of a sudden, they're awakening all of these past memories, these old emotions. And all of a sudden, these desires begin to come up and create cravings in them. And all of a sudden, they begin to think to themselves, oh, I'm in love with that one. You know, and I'm not in love with my wife. So it's extremely dangerous times uh, that we are living in. And I would like to just talk about how sin can trap you. Because, you know, being a Christian all my life, I loved God with all my heart. And I loved my husband, and I was in public ministry. And I thought that I was immune, Sid, from any of this ever happened to me. Because, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I really loved Jesus. I wasn't kidding. Like, it was a real relationship. And I thought that I could have... Um, a friendship with somebody because the thing is is that sin really does take you further than you ever thought you could go and you know what else sin is never satisfied so people go to these porn sites involve themselves and get into the area of sexual sin just they think that they're dabbling in it, but the danger there is so horrific. And the, the results now is that they say one out of every 2.7 couples, married couples, are affected by affairs. And um, those kind of studies just grieve my heart because Bob and I have experienced the pain of an extramarital affair because of my sinful and selfish desires. And I just want to protect people from the, the catapult of sin that's all around us. But we don't have to live like that. We don't have to do ourselves to that. Well, you know what's so amazing? I'm looking over these numbers right now as you're speaking. And studies as long ago as in the 1980s indicated by the age of 40, as many as 50 to 65 percent of the men or 45 to 55 percent of the women have had at least one extramarital affair. Now, that was before our television and our movies was saturated that that's normal. So imagine what it must be today. And that's why we, as a body of Christ, have to start talking about these things, Sid. That's why Bob and I are so passionate where we have had pain, because we want to protect others for not going through what we did. And, and you see, most people that are involved in these uh, types of things, especially if they're Christians, feel that if they reveal any of this, even to their spouse, it'll cost them their marriage, their family, uh, their, their, their reputation. Uh, and so they go on year after year covering these sins up. Now, what happens to sin that's covered up, Audrey? It turns into shame, Sid. It, what happens is, is that it becomes, it becomes a pattern in our life where we are holding a secret that is so heavy to carry you. I'm telling you that because I've experienced that. I've had to carry that secret of having to tell lies. You know, one sin does lead to another. I was having an affair, and then I found myself lying in order to get out of the house, and I found myself being completely different from the foundations I had in Jesus because of because of my involvement with the sexual sin became addictive. It became like a drug where it almost overtook me. And uh, you know what, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about so many men and women that are addicted to pornography, uh, that it's the same thing going on with them, except it's not a person. 
But the shame is the same, Sid. The shame that the enemy wants to put on us to literally just be the obstacle from us living the life that Jesus meant for us to live. And Jesus died for that shame, and that's why I'm so passionate of people getting free from that entanglement and that trap. Because not and people don't think they can be free, but they can. That's the part that's supernatural. Now, as I understand it, uh, you and Bob were married uh, 17 years. Uh, you're, you're very high profile because of the media. Uh, you're pastoring a church. How in the world, Audrey, did this even start? I believe that in my situation, I already mentioned this, but number one, I thought I was immune. I think that was the first problem because to me, that is a sign of spiritual pride. You know, I don't need God. I can control this. You know, pride does come before the fall. And I I wouldn't have known that at the time. But what happened was there was a lack in my own life. Bob and I were living an extremely busy lifestyle. And, you know, so many believers involve themselves in this where they are it be where they just need to hear the words beware of the barrenness of busyness and the only reason that we participate with sin is because we believe this lie i can get something by participating with it that i could not get any other way that that being involved with this relationship, being involved in, in the dark, in the quiet places, you know, in my home, you know, with my computer, that these things will satisfy me in a way that nothing else would. And that is a dangerous, dangerous lie. And believe me, I never set out to commit the sin of adultery. What happened was... I- no, if it had started, in other words, if the thought had gone on your radar immediately... Uh, I'm going to be involved in uh, sexual sin with a member of my church. I don't think that you would have even taken step one. I wouldn't have said that's exactly it. I would have ran away from that as faster than fast. But you see, part of me, this young guy just starts paying attention to me. I'm in my mid-30s. I have, you know, preteen kids. And he just starts telling me how beautiful I am. And every woman wants to know that they're beautiful. And, and it's not that my husband didn't think I was beautiful or anything like that, but it just felt good to get that kind of attention. Like, I hope you hear the selfishness in, in my heart and in my voice. And as well, you know, this didn't happen just with this incident. But these are lies that had been laid in her heart as a young girl, you know, through her teen years, through her dating, through all of those areas that, that create a precondition in your heart. And there's a lie there that is reaching out, you know, looking for the opportunity to be fulfilled. And, and in your case, Audrey, what was the lie? The lie was, I grew up in a Christian home where my mommy, my mom said, I don't ever, you know, she told me about how to make babies, and I, she said, don't ever do that till you get married. And so I said, well, that's, that's exactly, you know, then I'll obey that and everything else. Anyway, I, I hit puberty, and what happened was, just like every other girl, I have a deep need to feel beautiful and, and wanted and desired, and I found out that I wanted attention from guys in order to satisfy that need in my heart. And before long, boyfriend after boyfriend, year after year, I started doing everything but the thing that my mom told me not to do. But then it was at age 16 when I was, it's a sad day when I think about it, Sid. I know exactly where I was, where I lost my virginity. 
And from that moment on, this Jesus girl had to hold a secret that nobody knew about. And I started to hold on to the shame that identified me, that nobody knows how awful I really am. Uh, You know, I'm reminded of a statement I've read somewhere. Your secrets make you sick. Oh, my gosh, yes, Sid. That's exactly what it was. Whoops, we're out of time right now. But I have some good news for those that are listening right now uh, that have ears to hear. The Meissners say that they believe no marriage is beyond restoration. That's right. And you can have a marriage made in heaven, but you need it done through God's way supernaturally, if one member of a family will take the steps outlined in their course called Your Supernatural Marriage, three DVDs and a book, it will change your heart, which will change your marriage. Available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Audrey, if she had been approached on an adulterous situation, would have ran from it. But the devil's smart. He doesn't go after that. He goes after a need, a a long-time need that Audrey had within herself and starts a lie little by little. And someone that would say, I never, ever would consider an adulterous affair, had one. Audrey, review again how it started. Again, I just wanted to say that in the beginning, I had a friendship with a guy who was paying attention to me in the church, and it made me feel good. It made me feel beautiful, made me feel wanted. And I thought, I can just be friends with this guy. And I just really was living such an intense busy life. I was a mom. I had extra people living in our home. I was always trying to make everyone happy. And I thought, I'm just going to have this friendship because this guy's just a lot of fun. And I'm just going to hang out with him because I know that nothing would ever get inappropriate. And I hope that our listeners can hear the pride behind that. Because if there's ever an area where we say, oh, we can control this, we don't need God, then we are really opening the door for deception. Because that pride opens the door for deception. And believe me, I got deceived, Sid. I started to think that I could have this friendship, and before long... And let me interject this. If someone like you had resisted when it was just a little sin, if there's such a thing as a little sin, it never would have become a big sin. Maybe even the first thoughts of this person is fun. I want it from an opposite sex. I want to be around them. From that first thought, it's got to be nipped in the bud. It really does because I have a great illustration for this. I see sin as H2O. H2O is an element. And when it's steam, you can't see it but it's still H2O. When it's water, it becomes liquid. It becomes tangible. When H2O becomes frozen and it becomes ice, it can cut and it can kill. And I feel that that's what happened with sin. It is just as much sin when it was in the steam stage as when it was in the ice stage, but yet it becomes harmful and it can kill because you know the wages of sin are death. And if I could have started when it was just in my thoughts, when the temptations were just to start, but you know something in my heart, just the 
selfish nature in me just desired more and more and more because, you see, sin is never satisfied. Oh, okay. You enjoyed being around him. He made you feel good. He was funny. Uh, he, he, he made you feel good about yourself. What happened next? What happens next is, um, that's when I started crossing the line, little by little, little things would happen and I would justify them and thought, oh, it's not that bad, it's no big deal, I might have stepped off the path, but this is only a temporary detour, and it's just a little bit of fun and adventure, and I deserve a little bit of fun, and I wasn't thinking about what lying, was lying ahead, and I just decided to enjoy the moment without the consequence that it was really leading to, but the, and the whole time, I didn't stop loving my husband, but in my selfishness, I thought I could have this little bit of fun and it could get a little bit physical while I was still committed to Bob. I say those words right now, Sid, and it sounds ridiculous. Like, are you kidding me? But you see, I was just, I, the selfish in me was completely dealing with my, like it was playing with my thoughts. Because in my spirit, I could still hear that still small voice in me, the Holy Spirit, saying that this temporary detour was really deadly. Now, Bob, could you tell there was anything? Was there any intuitive feeling within you? There was something wrong with your your wife's relationship with this member of the church? Yeah, and uh, there was a a bit of a warning, and I remember, uh, you know, a couple times, but one, you know, specifically, I took Audrey out for lunch, and I sat her down, and I just said, hey, you know, I'm not liking all the time that you're spending. I'm not liking what's going on. And immediately she just reaffirmed me, oh, there's nothing, you know, everything's okay. And the whole thing is, is that everything was okay with us. We loved each other. We loved our family. We loved doing life with each other. And so what I did was I just trusted her. Now, Audrey, what caused you to confess to Bob that you were involved in adultery? You know, as soon as the sin got actually sexual, I ended the relationship almost immediately because of the torment and the confusion and the chaos that was going on, like a war going inside of me between my spirit man and my flesh man, so to speak. And so the torment was so crazy, the confusion in my mind, I just... It just, this, I just guess the Holy Spirit in me just rose up and ended it with this guy and said, I can't live another moment with this dual life. And so I ended it with him, not because my feelings for him were gone, but because it was the right thing to do. I, um, as soon as it got sexual, I ended it. I said, you have to leave town. This is not appropriate. You have to flee. And as soon as I did that, I thought maybe I could get free. And just maybe I could hold my secret forever because I didn't want to hurt Bob. I didn't want this betrayal to ever, you know, affect our marriage. But that was a lie as well because the betrayal had taken place. So I, I fell to my knees, Sid. I just said, Jesus, help me. Nobody knows my secret. I'm carrying this heavy secret. What do I do? And, and I asked him to forgive me. Jesus forgave me. But then I heard that still small voice in my heart again saying, Audrey, you're going to have to tell Bob because this secret is going to drive a wedge into the intimacy. And eventually this secret will fester and it will destroy you. And I thought, that's it. And, you know, it took every bit of courage in me. And I cry when I think about it when I 
told Bob, and I fell down at his feet, and we were sitting in an office that was empty, and no one could interrupt us, and I told him that I had committed the sin of adultery. It was just days after the affair had ended. Uh, How did that affect you initially, Bob? In the moment, I couldn't believe it, and immediately my mind began to create. In the imagery of my mind, I began to create a rescue plan for me, And and it had everything to do with leaving. Because the whole thing was is that, you know, in our communication style, you know, she would come to me and she'd say, you know, oh, I'm so sorry I did this and that. Okay, let's forgive and, and move on. But this wasn't just a little oops or a mistake. This was a big deal. And I knew that if I were to leave, then she would be discovered for what she did to me. Immediately, I put on the victim. I couldn't believe that this was really her. I really, I mean, I began to interrogate and question. And, you know, when that reality began to sink in, all I wanted to do was run. I went to my office not knowing what to do, and I stared at a blank wall. And I'll tell our listeners what to do every single time when they don't know what to do. And it's simply this, ask God. And that's when things become supernatural. In that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and he reminded me of a book that was on my bookshelf, and he said, give this man a call. And, and when I phoned him, he began to speak truth into my life, not sympathy, but truth. First question he asked me was this, who knows? I said, nobody. He says, good, let's keep it that way. And that was just so confusing. That was the opposite. You wanted the whole world to feel sorry for you. I wanted everybody to know, you know, because I'm the innocent one here. I didn't ask for this. I didn't do anything wrong. She's the guilty one. And, and, you know, and those were the emotions and, and the rage that was rising up in me. And yet I hear a man of God speaking truth to me. And he says, no, he says, your father would not do this. He hasn't done it to you. Would you consider covering your wife? That evening we had a phone conversation, Audrey, myself, and my pastor friend, and he began to speak to me the principles of covering. And that has two primary principles. Number one is to protect, and the second is to promote healing. When you've been hurt or wounded, when you've been cut, you immediately cover that wound to protect it from any further injury. And then you remove your hand and you suture that wound and you bandage it. You cover it again to promote healing because that's what God does. When we make a mistake, he doesn't come to us and he doesn't shame us. He doesn't expose us, but rather he brings a covering. Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 2 says this, it's God's glory to conceal a matter and for a king to, to discover its understanding. My heavenly father loves me and he covers me. He doesn't ignore my sin, but rather he comes at my defense and he promotes healing in my life. And that was a whole new principle for me. And uh, all I could do, because in the chaos of that moment, because wherever there is sexual sin... Oh, we're out of time. We'll pick up here on tomorrow's broadcast. But, you know, if this was the whole story, we would say tragedy, but they forgave, and it was all over. (laughs) But it's not the whole story. As a matter of fact, shortly thereafter, Audrey finds out She's pregnant. What are they going to do? 
Is it possible for Bob to forgive? Is it possible for Audrey to forgive herself? What shame they were dealing with. But there's so many people that are about ready to commit the sin that Audrey committed. And so many people involved in things like this. And so many people with horrible marriages. How would you like your marriage transformed from dead to incredible? How would you like your marriage transformed from good to incredible? How would you like your whole family transformed? You find out, Audrey, that you're pregnant. Uh, Did you immediately tell Bob, or what did you do? We were together in the doctor's office. I had told him two weeks previously about the adultery, and we were getting the help that we needed, and we knew we were going to be okay, but we were in a tremendous amount of pain. And I'll tell you, when I told Bob about the affair, I didn't think I could face my future. But, Sid, when I found out I was carrying a baby... I really didn't think I could face my life because I've got these three precious children that are 10, 12, and 15 years old, and I I am now impregnated by a man that's biracial, and this baby will not look like the other kids, and I really didn't think I had any hope of ever having a laughing again or ever having a happy memory. And most of all, the enemy quickly came and said, your kids are going to be messed up. You are disqualified from ever helping people in ministry again. You are an adulterous woman. The accusations were very strong in my ear. And when, I, when Bob and I were together and walking out of that doctor's office, you know, the first thing that came out of that doctor's mouth was the pregnancy test came back positive. And he must have seen the look on our faces. And he said, would you like to continue this pregnancy? And it was my husband, Bob, that rose up and said, yes, we are. And I found a strength in Bob that I didn't even know was there because I had lost all hope for the rest of our life. But Bob said, yes. But you know what? I went home and the fear and the, the, the like extreme desperation caused me to to make a phone call to an abortion clinic. And, you know, I don't believe in abortion, but I'll tell you, I understand the desperation that leads one to get one because the fear in me said I would never get through this. I would never get over this. And during that phone call, the person told me that I, they would send me 10 pills in the mail anonymously, and I just needed to take one pill every week for 10 weeks, and my problem would be gone. And I think, isn't it like the enemy? But before this happened to you, Audrey, would you have ever thought it possible that you would consider an abortion? No, because I love my kids. I love my babies. I'm a mom. You know, I would never consider an abortion. But, Sid, the fear is so real that you can't face it. I decided, I, I, I hung up that phone, and I dropped to my knees and repented. I said, Jesus, I know that two wrongs don't make a right. And I know that even when, you know, David took an innocent life after getting Bathsheba pregnant, he killed Uriah, that, you know, that you were displeased with him because he did that. And I said, I, and I had just read that scripture that morning. I said, I don't want that. I said, but then I just begged God for a miscarriage. I even remember praying, God, if you really love me, you will take this from me because I can't do this. And I think now, 11 years later, 
I can see a different picture because God did not answer that prayer. Because in essence, what I was asking him for was for him to evacuate me out of my circumstances. And I think so many of us do that because of our desperation. Just send me, you know, evacuate me out of what I'm in right now. But God said to me, because he, because I love you, I'm going to walk with you every single moment of every day and of every month and the next month. And we're not going to evacuate you out, but I am going to walk with you through. And uh, Okay, but Bob, uh, let's be practical. You're a pastor. You have now lost your career. Uh, did you have a lot of savings? No, not at all. No savings. So what what do you do? What did you do? You decided to have counseling. You decided to embrace the uh, the child from the adulterous affair. You decided uh, that you were going to work on your marriage. Um, so what did you do? Yeah. Um, when Audrey and I were f- um, first married, my father gave me a phone call, and he says, Bob, I thought you should hear this from me. He says... I'm leaving your mom. I did not want to make that phone call to my kids. And I was going to fight for my marriage. I know the pains of divorce. I know the tragedy that it causes in families. And it was like, God, you can do this. Either you're my redeemer or you're not. I don't want to just get by. I don't want to just hold on for my children, but I want a 10 out of 10 marriage. I want the best marriage imaginable. And so I was willing to sacrifice everything. We sold our home, we resigned our positions, and we moved to a place of rescue where we would get help because I believe that my Redeemer lives. So you, you, you just picked up and you moved uh, to where? We left um, Winnipeg, Canada, and we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. My father lives here, and I wanted my kids to be near family or near a grandparent. They did so know. that's where we came. They did not know what we were going through at this time. And we left with no job, no hope for a job. We just put all our belongings into a moving truck, and by faith, we just trusted God to take care of us. And at that point of desperation, what happened to, did God provide? We arrived in Arizona. I arrived on a Saturday night. We went to church on a Sunday, had dinner with my father on a Sunday night. Monday, I bought a car. Tuesday, I found a house to live in. Wednesday, I moved in, and I went to church Wednesday night. It was day after day after day. Provision of God, provision of God. You see, that's what's supernatural. When you come into an agreement with God's view and opinion, not only of yourself, but of your marriage, of your past, and of your future. You see, God wants to benefit your life. He's not out there trying to punish you, but rather he's trying to get his goodness to you. And we simply need to come into an agreement in that way. And I'm, I'm t- you know, today as we're talking, this was God's rescue plan for our marriage. And I'm telling you to all of our listeners out there, God has a rescue plan for your marriage because Audrey and I were like two people in the middle of the lake drowning. We were no good for each other. We were in so much pain. 
our pain was so unique and different from each other, we needed help. We needed to um, get people around us because when you're in trouble, when your children are in trouble, you don't want them running away from home. You want them to run to home. When you're in trouble, the enemy will lie to you and say, oh, you need to just go get away. You just need to go, you know, be by yourself for a while. No, when you're in trouble, you run to the family of God, not away from the family of God. And you get the help that you need. Like even these DVDs in this book that we're offering just offers the principles and tools of hope and not despair, of supernatural, because, you know, our natural love for each other ran out. We were in too much pain. But that's when God's supernatural love not only provided for us a job and a home, and I mean, it's just incredible, but he also met us in that, that, that deep place of pain, and he met us there with an intimacy where we would we know him in a place of our brokenness like we would never know him otherwise. Okay, I, I, have, two, I have two quick questions. Number one, um, how did your three children take this sudden move? Yeah. What effect did not, it have on that? Not a problem, simply because we're a family of adventure. And they didn't know the que- about the pregnancy when we they moved. They didn't know about okay. the pregnancy. All right, that's number two. What did you decide to do with the child uh, that you're pregnant with, Audrey? Well, that decision was not up to me. I'll tell you, I would have done anything Bob would have asked because there were people that were willing to take this baby and adopt this baby, and we, didn't, we did not know what we were capable of. And, Bob, I, I guess that would be your part. Yeah, the deepest question that I had was, would, would I be able to love this baby as my own? Being uh, predominant in the Christian world, I had many pastors and leaders come to me and say, Bob, you can't keep this baby. You know, we have people you can adopt this baby out. And I remember speaking to my pastor and my friend, and, and he knew the struggle that I had of my inability. The capacity to love was so limited. And he looked at me one day, and he says, Bob, there's a baby on your doorstep. What are you going to do? Are you going to participate with this fatherless generation, or are you going to grow up and become a father to the fatherless? But once you, ha- once you made the decision uh, to uh, have this baby be yours, in fact, you gave him your name, uh, what effect uh, you had to tell your children is by the baby's biracial. Right. And we did. We had a family get together. Um, we called all the kids together and we sat down and Audrey and I were sitting there bawling our eyes out and the kids were scared out of their minds. But I stood up immediately, and I went over to the bed, and I pulled the large queen-size blanket from the bed, and I covered Audrey from head to foot. I knelt down beside her, and I wrapped my arms around her, and I cried, and I looked deep into my children's eyes. And I said, kids, this is what God does when we make a mistake. He comes to us. And he covers us. I'm so sorry. We're out of time right now. But I need to get these three DVDs and the book, Your Supernatural Marriage, into your hands for a gift of $40. It's going to transform a dead marriage and make it incredible. It's going to take a good marriage. I mean, there are secrets in this book on the supernatural plane that will revolutionize every area of your life. It doesn't have to be as drastic as Audrey and Bob. But wouldn't you like a supernatural marriage available for a gift of $40? Call our order-only line, one 800 
You mentioned uh, Audrey and Barbara's uh, statement, you two were two broken people because you loved each other, but there was something coming between you that you didn't think could ever happen. It was insidious. It, did, it didn't just start uh, by uh, Audrey waking up one day and saying, I'm going to have an adulterous affair. Sin is insidious. It starts just with the thought and just slowly little by little. So I say to you, if you're involved in a little bit of an office romance from the viewpoint of flirting, stop right this minute. And Audrey is for sure saying, stop. I am so passionate about that, Sid, because people think that they can just control that relationship and friendship they have with the opposite sex. But you know, I wasn't even physically attracted to this guy at the beginning. It was literally just a friendship. And something happened in my heart where he started feeding something that I didn't even know I needed. And that's when the attraction began. And that's when it took a turn that I would never have expected. So you said that so well, Sid. Just to please don't think that you can control this. Don't play around with that kind of fire. It's not worth it. Okay, you relocate. God supernaturally provides for every one of your needs, but you're still two broken people. Uh, And now you're pregnant, and it's beginning to show, and you have to tell your children. You have three children. You, 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 You do it one day. And uh, tell me very briefly, Bob, uh, because I thought it was uh, very supernatural the way you explained what was going on to your children. And what were their ages? Yeah, my oldest was 15, my son, my daughter was 13, and then my third born, David, was 10. And tell us how you told them. Yeah, they're precious, precious. And and uh, I remember that evening when, when I called the family together just for a, for a family meeting. And here we are living in a new city, and, you know, they're, they're like, you know, an adventure. What are we going to do? But when they came into the, our, our bedroom, they saw Mom and Dad sitting on the floor crying their eyes out. They were so scared and nervous, nervous at that moment. But I got up immediately, and I went to the bed, and I pulled the queen-size blanket from the bed, and I just covered Audrey from head to foot. And I knelt down beside her, and I wrapped my arms around her. And I looked deep into my children's eyes. And I said, kids, this is what God does when we make a mistake. He comes to us, he covers us, and he wraps his arms around us. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. With Audrey covered and held in my arms, I continued just to reaffirm to my children how much I loved their mom how much uh, we belong, that we're a family. And I just spoke so much security, as much as I could, that we are a family and that I'm not going anywhere. With Audrey held in my arms and covered, I said to them, you're going to have a baby brother. My oldest son knew immediately what had happened, and he's crying. My daughter, who's 13, she's crying and crying. And then all of a sudden she gets this big smile on her face, and she looks at me and she says, Daddy, We're having a baby. She sees my pain and cries, but she cannot contain her excitement. And she says, Daddy, we're having a baby. My 10-year-old, David, he's looking at all of us, and he says, I'm so confused. He says, I'm not going to be the youngest anymore. (laughs) We were going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it was several months later, you know, again, 
many painful days, painful nights, but God was working on my heart, creating in me a greater capacity to love. I needed to know how much my father loved me, and in knowing that love, I'm able to love my son. So, but, but I have to ask you a question. Uh, when this first happened and, and you went to a counselor uh, and the counselor advised you some of the principles you're speaking now, covering your wife's sin, uh, but uh, he told you to uh, sleep in the same bed with her. How did that you was react? The very first night, yes. And, uh, and I was because I was in so much confusion on what to do. That very first night, I thought, you know, do I sleep on the couch? Do I get a hotel? Do I go somewhere? You know, what do I do tonight? And it's in these first moments that are extremely um, uh, prominent and, and, and just important in our lives in these moments of crisis because we can turn one way or the other. And he said this to me. He said, Bob, you're going to get right back into your marriage bed tonight. You will not spend a night apart from each other because we will not participate with a spirit of divorce. And that is what I call my darkest night ever because I stared out the window and it was just pitch black. Not only was every hope and dream and desire for my future erased, but all of a sudden, every happy memory of 17 years was gone. And I was entering into a place of despair. And at the place of despair is where there is no hope. But we serve a supernatural God who is a God of all hope. I think about it 11 years later, Sid. And here we are sitting here talking to you. And our little guy, Robert, who Bob gave him his name, is one of the happiest little guys you will ever meet. And our family is so happy, and where the enemy said that my kids are going to be messed up, our kids are now 26 and 23 and 21, and those and Robert's 11, but those older kids, every one of them has a deep abiding walk and personal relationship with God. Tell me about what happened as far as your repentance for your sin. Uh, how did God deal with that? How did you deal with that? Yes, when I first repented to Bob, it was just out of pure obedience. I didn't feel close to God. I didn't feel close to Bob. I was so involved emotionally with this other guy. I just sort of went through the action, so to speak, because my heart had become so hardened because of justifying sin. It hardens your heart, and I just couldn't even feel God's presence. But I, I wanted to. I craved it. I wanted God to heal my heart. And what I did was I just said, God... I want to hate the sin that I just committed. I'm having a hard time because I miss this guy. I had an emotional attachment to this guy, and I don't ever want to have that. I don't want to just be clean from this whole thing. You know how alcoholics say, you know, I've been clean for 12 years, 6 months, and 3 days. I don't want that. I don't want to just be clean. I want to be free. I want to actually hate what I did. And right now, I don't have that. And so my repentance came in layers as I just asked God to soften my heart. And I repented again and again. I know that God forgave me the first time I asked. I know the power of Jesus' forgiveness. But my own heart needed to be softened by just asking God every 
every day in humility. God, soften my heart. Heal my brokenness. Meet me in your presence in this secret place. And so I just ask God, help me to hate the sin. And, you know, I've talked to women who are involved in affairs and think that they will never get over the other guy. They will tell me that they are so in love with this other guy that they'll never get over it. But I want to say to that one that's listening right now that says, I'm glad it works for you, but I'll never stop thinking about this other guy. And I just want to say there is a supernatural power of God and the Holy Spirit to literally give you a new heart with new desires back for your husband. And it takes participation. You have to intentionally say, God, I want your desires. But I'll tell you, 11 years later, I am so free from those thoughts. And I am so, and it wasn't, didn't take 11 years. It was just a matter of six or eight months. Tell, tell me, tell me, because you teach this all over, and that's why we have these three DVDs in the book, Your Supernatural Marriage. Uh, give me an example of an impossible situation in a marriage that God rectified. Yes, that was the, oh, what happened was we got, they came in touch with us, and what had happened is is that the man in the marriage was living a dual lifestyle, and he had a mistress for 25 years, and it was completely kept a secret, and the other person never knew about it until... um, until the other person died and, and he was in the will. And then the wife found out about this dual lifestyle that he had been living. And you know what? There was no natural way that there could ever be forgiveness for that kind of a sin. And yet God in his supernatural power, um, there's a story behind it where God met her and really helped her to forgive her husband. And that is supernatural forgiveness. There is nothing natural about that. And Bob and I experienced supernatural forgiveness for each other as well. And um, those were incredible stories of how God... Well, what I love about what you're sharing is if God could cause your marriage to be what he wanted it to be, from being dead to being incredible. If he could do it for you, as you like to say, that you do not believe that there is any marriage that cannot be restored. Well, all this week I've been interviewing Bob and Audrey Meissner about their supernatural marriage, and that's why they've put together three teaching DVDs and a book called Your Supernatural Marriage with the principles that have worked in their life. If God could take their broken marriage and restore it and make it the way he intended it for you, he could do it for you. But I have to ask you a question, Audrey Meissner. How in the world are you able to be so public with your secret sins, where, um, I, I, I mean, how do you have this kind of freedom to do that? I am so glad that you asked this question, Sid, because this brings me to the most favorite part of the story. Not only has God given us this precious gift of our son, Robert, who's now 11 years old, who is such a joy to our family and such a picture and a trophy of Jesus' redemption and his restoration, but the greatest gift is that God has forgiven me. And I just want to tell a story of what happened, because for me, the shame of being publicly exposed for what I had done and 
and just even having a son that doesn't look like the other kids and having this story. And um, you'd think that I would just feel so much shame, but I want to tell you what happened. Um, it was just layers upon layers of just asking the Lord to soften my heart. But then it was about two years after Robert was born, I had an experience with God that literally was the final step. And that was the day that I forgave myself. I was challenged in that moment. Will you, um, do you believe that it's a good thing for you to forgive yourself? And I said, yeah, it's a good thing. And, and this, the, the person talking to me said, do you believe it's the right thing or it's good for Bob to forgive yourself? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, do you believe that you deserve to forgive yourself? And I said, no. And because I didn't believe that I really deserved to forgive myself, I carried around acute grief, which means that my heart was so broken that I invited grief to rest inside of me. And I never allowed myself to grieve because I just wanted to be so perfect and make up for my sin to perform. Thus, I could be forgiven. But that's not how Jesus works. And so that day, I was challenged to believe that this, this, this couple praying for me said, do you believe that you deserve to forgive yourself? And I said, no. And they said, and then they said, well, because Jesus died, he has forgiven you from your sin. And you don't get what you deserve. You get what he deserves. And so I just said, yes, I will choose to believe. And they said, good. Now you're ready to get rid of all that grief that is locked inside of you. And I closed my eyes and I started getting in touch with all that grief that had taken place, even the feeling of how it felt to tell my children that I had had an affair and all of the most awful things that you feel when you've betrayed your husband and the one you love the most. And after I was done, just finally letting out all this crying that I had held in and pent up, it was like prison doors were open in the supernatural. It was like those prison doors opened, and I walked free into this new place because I finally received what Jesus really did for me. And I, it was, my eyes were closed, and the presence of God was so thick. And I saw, with my eyes closed, I saw a picture. And it was me clothed in the most beautiful, white, glistening, pure robe of righteousness. And Jesus was there, and he says, Audrey, will you agree with how I see you? And I said, yes. And then that robe came on me, and the cloak of shame that I had been wearing for those two years literally fell off in a moment when I came into agreement with how God sees me. Bob, you had hurt and anger that you struggled with. How did you deal with that? My anger and my rage over now two years had been something that I had learned to control, something that I had suppressed. But that's no way to live because your body will become ill and sick. And what I needed was truly a miracle. But you see, as repentance comes in layers, forgiveness comes in layers, but it can culminate in a moment. Just as Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, there was a moment in my life where the forgiveness was a process, but it came to this moment, and I knew that it was over. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, your hope of glory. Christ in me is my confident expectation that his view and opinion of me would become my reality. What I needed 
was for my eyes to be open so that I could see how loved I was. Because I stood in a place of judgment every single time. You know, when anger and rage would rise up inside of me, it was because I would point the finger of judgment and be critical towards my wife. I'd say, Audrey, how could you do this to me? How could you betray me like that? You see, and the why questions would torment me. I had images in my mind that would torment me day and night. But when I allowed the finished work of, of God, of what Jesus did to me, when his realities became mine, when I knew how loved and forgiven I was, it's in that place that I am able to love and forgive Audrey. And, and you know, both of you conduct the most wonderful conferences, and we have three DVDs of your teaching, because what God has done for you, he wants to do for everyone that is listening. You cover such areas as Boy, I'd, I'd like to go. I'd like to spend a whole day discussing this. Keys to laughing again. Uh, you you talk about uh, how you can uh, become irresistible to each other. Uh, supernatural communication. How do you laugh again, Audrey? <laughs> you know what? It's amazing how you feel safe. When Bob forgave me once and for all. I felt so safe with him that the laughter was just a natural byproduct because, you know what, not only was I not carrying around the shame, but I was not living with the one who judged me anymore. And women have such a need to feel safe, and I feel so safe with my husband who has given me the gift of trust again, and that gives me the freedom to laugh and have fun. What is, if if you could talk to a woman that is, in the identical type of situation you're, you were in, what would you say to her? Well, first of all, if she was in the process of wondering whether to have this relationship, I would say absolutely everything in me would beg her to please just grab a hold of the consequences that are about to befall her and stop it with all your might and decide that that will not bring you the pleasure that you think it will. It will not bring the end that you want. It will lead to disaster and destruction of your family, and you will, it will, the consequences are so huge. If there's somebody that's already involved in adultery, my plea to them would be to just fall to the feet of Jesus, and it's not too late to receive his restoration, his forgiveness, and his redemption. Trust God in a way that can bring his supernatural power into your life, because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is. And you are loved, and you are forgiven, but it is never, never okay to continue on in sin. Now, many women, Audrey, live in fantasy. Why is that so insidious? Well, many married, married women today live in this private fantasy that their husbands know nothing about and a world that they crave this mystery adventure and forbidden love. And many, and, and what happens is we don't get honest with this. We don't find out that, you know, you know, we see our husbands and maybe they're not involved in our lives or emotions or they're overworked. And what happens is it causes us to give up our dreams and we become numb to what is reality. And I say to that, to just get these DVDs, get help. Get inspired to intentionally work on your marriage and to get transparent, 
open and honest with each other because those very things, that transparency with each other and having the guts and the courage to talk about these things with your husband really opens the door to intimacy coming back so that you can be best friends with each other again because that's what we as girls really want is to be best friends with our husband. And, Bob, uh, what about men that have become numb to their wife's needs? What they need to do is get a hold of a godly man. What they don't want is their wife to try to change or fix them. And uh, women do not make men. Men make men. And that's why I'm very passionate about godly men coming along other men and just challenging them to go higher. I had a godly man come into my life and stand alongside me, you see, and challenge me to go higher to go better. I mean, life is a great adventure. Marriage is wonderful. It's to be celebrated. And marriage is God's showcase to the world today of God's covenant-keeping love with me. Our marriage is a prophetic voice to the world today. Our, your marriage can be one that is truly supernatural. And tell me a few of the areas that you'll be teaching on these three DVDs. Well, one of them is I talk about how we as women really want, we have such a desire to make our men better that we step into control mode. And we use our personality and our giftings to try and, and our hearts are right. We just want our husbands to be amazing. But we step into where we want to be the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it actually cuts off the flow in our intimate relationship with each other. Because I say one of the most irresistible things to a man is a woman who's not trying to control him. But that's easier said than done, Sid. I'm telling you from a woman's point of view. And we talk about what becomes irresistible to each other. And, and what's the most irresistible thing to a woman? Bob. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be desired. She wants to be priority number one in that man's life. That's what she wants. And uh, in the conclusion of this book, we begin to talk about soaring together. And that has everything to do with restoring dreams. When you're courting and you're dating with one another, the very purpose that you even desired to get married was that we were better together than we are apart. There was a synergy that was being created that, you know, God can do something. We want to do something together. You know what? Supernatural hope is going right into your marriage right now. I want you to get these three DVD teachings and the book, Your Supernatural Marriage available for a gift of $40, and let's, you've been going too long on fumes. It's ready. God wants you to have an incredible marriage. Our world is rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision, but Scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. O-R-G. 
To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.